Can you imagine the level of a mind that watches wrestling? The audience wants to see action, adventure, wrestling, and plenty of it. Big men in tights, you know the drill. Rammer Slammer. Welcome to Rammer Slammer. This is Ben Flanagan, and welcome to our 24th episode of the wrestling podcast here, recorded in the Deep South. It's a big week, or at least last week was a big week, because I, along with my brother Graham Flanagan from Business Insider up in New York City, we went to NXT TakeOver, and we went to SummerSlam in New York City. I visited Graham for the weekend, and we happened upon some tickets for both shows, and Graham actually went to the Monday Night Raw at Barclays in New York City, too. So he had three straight nights of wrestling in about, really, like, 11 hours total of live WWE pro wrestling. It was a lot. Two was a lot for me, so I can only imagine what three straight nights of this was like, just in terms of how jam-packed each night. Two pay-per-views in one really loaded episode of Raw, all at the same venue. It's really, it's an exhaustive, intense experience, but it was a ton of fun, and it was my first pay-per-view ever. I've been to some live shows, some some televised broadcasts like Raw and SmackDown, and back in the day I went to a WCW Thunder, but this is the first ever pay-per-view I've ever been to, and it was a blast. It really was. I know that the show got mixed reviews by many fans and critics and whatnot, but I, I had a ton of fun. It was a four-hour show, and it was every bit of those four hours, including... And I don't think that was including the pre-show, actually. We only caught a couple of matches from the pre-show, but it was great. And NXT TakeOver was as as fun as most wrestling fans have advertised those events and as I've seen them via WWE Network. So what a thrill and, and, and privilege it was to catch those shows. And it was just even more fun being in New York City and visiting Graham up there. And it was a whirlwind of a trip, but... We had a blast, and so Graham is going to join me here in just a moment to talk about that weekend up in New York City, Brooklyn specifically at the Barclays Center, and we're also going to talk about, really really quickly, that moment on Talking Smack, the post-Smackdown panel show on the WWE Network, where there was a bit of a moment that has gone viral, I guess, by now, between Daniel Bryan and The Miz. What many thought was a, a genuinely real moment where they sort of broke character and started getting under each other's skin and, and not tossing insults each other's way, but sort of getting real with one another about their role in the wrestling world as it is right now. And it was really interesting, and uh, Graham and I were going to break it down. We, we thought that it was one of the more exciting moments in WWE's recent history. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to break down our favorite moments from NXT TakeOver and SummerSlam weekend. So here we are with that. Enjoy. This is Ben Flanagan with Rammer Slammer, and I am joined now on the phone by my brother Graham Flanagan from Business Insider up in New York City. What's up, Graham? Hey, what's up? Not much. Uh, you and I just spent some time together. I came up to New York City. For, to visit you, and, and we had no expectations of, of going to any of the WWE events that were happening in New York City, but it just so happened that you and I went to NXT TakeOver at Barclays, and then the next night we went to SummerSlam, and then the next night I was gone, but you went to Monday Night Raw all at the same venue. You had three straight nights of WWE, which is a lot. And we're going to get to our favorite moments from SummerSlam weekend, where we talk about those two pay-per-views that we attended, and maybe you'll have something to say about the Monday Night Raw that you saw. But first, Graham, I want to talk a little bit about this whole talking smack sort of viral moment that happened between Daniel Bryan and The Miz after SmackDown on Tuesday night. And this is a post-SmackDown live panel show that Daniel Bryan co-hosts with Renee Young, and they had The Miz and his wife Maurice on. And during a discussion about wrestling styles, things got a little heated between Daniel Bryan and The Miz, where Daniel Bryan accused The Miz of having a quote-unquote cowardly wrestling style that sort of prevented him from taking hard hits and hard bumps, as they call them, so that he could prolong his career. And that was The Miz's point, that his wrestling style allows him to enjoy a healthy and longer and more consistent career, whereas a style like Daniel Bryan's that is more dangerous, that involves much more uh, high-stakes bumps, 
that has caused him to end his career prematurely due to concussions and other injuries. So, Graham, the wrestling world and, and some of the mainstream world interpreted this as a quote-unquote worked shoot, or some people thought it was actually the real deal, that, that these two were sharing a, a genuinely real, tense moment. But I think for the most part, most people understand that this was more than likely a, a staged moment between the two men. But the way that they played it certainly gave off the vibe that it was possible that it could be real and that the guys were airing a couple of differences. And then the Miz cut an amazing promo that a lot of people have called one of his best moments in his whole career in pro wrestling and WWE. But you, you mentioned that it speaks to a larger conversation happening now in the wrestling world, especially WWE, where that line continues to be even more blurred than it already was between reality and fiction. So tell me what you think about this moment and tell me what you mean by it speaking to that larger issue. Well, first of all, regarding the video itself that's out there, it, it's incredible. I've, I've probably watched it like five times. It's just an amazing moment. And if it makes you think to yourself, wow, this is real, this could be real, this might this might not be a work, I think that, that that speaks to something that WWE is doing right. And you can't talk about this moment without saying that The Miz was just unbelievable. You know, I'm of the 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 contingent that thinks that this was a work. Um, and that being said, I think that this was just one of the best performances that we've – it's probably the best performance we've ever seen out of The Miz, who I've always liked and thought was, was funny and entertaining. And he's actually a good worker in the ring. But, man, this he, this just – we haven't seen him on, working on this level in terms of a promo, and, and that's saying a lot because he's excellent on the mic. Uh, just outstanding work for, from him, um, especially not only when he's he's confronting Daniel Bryan, but after Daniel Bryan uh, leaves and his, his anger just kicks into another gear once he's, he's holding the belt and speaking directly to the camera, that's where he, he took it into an even uh, more intense level for me. When he tells the cameraman in the control room, get that camera on me, and he holds up the belt, and they get that great uh, extreme close-up of him, and he is just so intense. He's almost like gritting his teeth. Just just an outstanding performance. I hear that they like make guys go to promo school at the developmental center. Hopefully they'll, they'll be showing this for, for a long time because you need people to think that it's real. That's the whole point is, is creating that illusion that it's real. Um, and, and when you've got adults and so-called smart marks and Washington Post reporters writing articles saying that this might have actually been real, then, then you, you have done something right, and this was just a complete success. Yeah, and, and before we get to the larger issue thing, I think The Miz might be the best guy at WWE on the mic, just on a consistent basis. He's really funny. He he just has he, he's really articulate. He has great inflection. He has great charisma, and he's really good at being a bad guy. I think the only guy who's really on his level right now is probably Enzo Amore, who who is really an artist on the mic in his own right, but just does a very different thing. I think just in terms of character and in the level at which the Miz is playing, he's kind of on a level unto himself. And there are plenty of really super talented people within the company, but would you agree that The Miz right now might be the best mic guy in WWE? I, I wouldn't say – I mean, this obviously makes he's, – he's fresh in our minds, and, and this combined with his, like, consistent track record in that department uh, definitely makes a case for him. But I, I personally think Seth Rollins um, should, should get that recognition just because the content that – on which his promos are based is, like, more serious, so to speak. Um, there's more at stake, and you know the Miz. The Miz's mic work, while it's been excellent and consistent, it usually uh, is built on on creative that that really doesn't have very many uh, implications in terms of the larger overall storyline. Uh, hopefully, this will give him a chance to to get some of those big time uh, prime time promo spots on SmackDown and and in the pay per views. But I, I would think right now, because Rollins has been so outstanding in his work as a heel. Um, ever since he got the uh, the, the championship uh, two WrestleManias ago, and he, he did this whole program where he, he was just kissing the authorities' ass and, and acting like he was entitled 
uh, he's just been outstanding. And that, that showed also on Monday night when he, you know, cut a little bit of a, a work shoot promo uh, on, on Finn Balor, you know, saying that he had to, he basically was responsible for sending him off to a hospital. And now he's in, then he, he turned it back into a work when he says, I'm entitled to this belt now. I'm a heel and this beautiful belt, you know, which drew heat because as we will talk about later, uh, we were at Barclays and no one was even watching his incredible match with Finn Balor because everyone was w- talking about and chanting about how ugly the belt was. Rollins worked into his promo that he actually liked the belt, thought it was aesthetically pleasing. That's just brilliant uh, creative mic work from him. So I'm not disagreeing with you that he's great. I think this now put him in a position to show that he could be the best. But based on what we've seen over the last two years, I would vote for Seth Rollins as the best promo guy. Yeah, and again, I think you're talking about different levels of mic work because you have a guy like Seth Rollins who's involved in the primary storyline and who happens to be probably the best in-ring worker in the company, too. So he's the total package. I think Kevin Owens is on that level, too. He's fantastic on the mic, fantastic in the ring. But I think you just look at guys like Enzo More and The Miz where their primary strength is talking. And, and it, it, they're so good. And, and to use the Steve Austin line, they're these silver-tongued devils, these guys who just can do it all when they're talking, and guys who deserve careers post-wrestling, whether they're commentators or managers or hosts or whatever. It, it just seems like something that their their second win in, in the latter part of their, their career, their second phase of their career is going to involve talking in some capacity. So, Again, I think there are different levels, but I totally agree with you. Seth Rollins cut some amazing promos, but The Miz is clearly on fire right now. Well, he's, inter- he's the Intercontinental Champion too, so it's not like he's, he's you know, a nobody in the in the ring. Yeah, and I mean, look, it's like it, it's going to seem like a long time has gone by um, in between the time he cut that promo on that Talking Smack show and when we see him again, which is going to be, I would hope, Tuesday night on SmackDown. So it's like oh, there's a lot of pressure. Um, you know, on him to to live up to that, not to not even to top it, but to like live up to it. And every, there are gonna be a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and I just hope that they can do something that's pure, and that this is all building towards something that will be deserving of of what what happened. Um, but I just want to say regarding the the aspect of the promo that is making people think it was a shoot, in that he was going after Daniel Bryan, calling him out for for being injured, saying you should quit and go to the indies since WWE won't let you wrestle and you say that's your true passion. You're being critical of my wrestling style, which has allowed me to stay injury-free for so long and allowed me to continue doing what I'm doing despite criticism of people that don't say that I take enough risk. Well, this speaks to another issue uh, in the WWE, which is that so many people, so many top stars are being injured. Um, you know, two two people in WWE who on you know on Saturday night respectively held championships are now out for uh, an untold amount of months. Uh, and Sasha Banks who dropped the title to, to Charlotte, and then Finn Balor who who won it over uh, against Seth Rollins. You know he he's out for four to six months. Sasha Banks was hurt going into the match. They still had her doing ridiculous spots that looked really terrifying. Uh, you know, and she dropped the the championship, which apparently was the was the plan since she was her and they were like, drop the championship and we'll let you rest for a while. But you got those injuries. I mean, it's like uh, a guy like the Miz doesn't get talked about as much in that context because he doesn't do crazy high spots. But on the other side of that, he hasn't had to retire at the top of his game like Daniel Bryan. And what is really sad and scary and, and thank goodness, nothing worse happened to Daniel Bryan when he did a lot of those risky moves. But, uh, what I'm hearing, you know, especially on these podcasts with like Stone Cold and, J- and Jim Ross, they're like, and, and Bret Hart had some comments as well. They're like pleading with these with these workers and the, these performers to like dial it back a little bit and not risk risk their bodies so much uh, to the point where it might prevent them from actually working. Yeah, well, I mean, they're doing it for the fans. I mean, they're in, in clearly each other too, and it's all about taking it to that next level and delivering something to the fans and the TV audience that we have never seen before. And that's something that NXT and, and the, the folks who have graduated from that to WWE have, have clearly brought to the table and that they are, are sort of reconfiguring the spots that you're talking about and, and refashioning them into this sort of like new wave of moves and new wave of in-ring work 
that puts their bodies on the line in a way that we've never seen before. I mean, if you go back and watch the old old school wrestling, even in the 80s and 90s, and, and you know, even in the 2000s, early 2000s, it, it'll look pedestrian compared to a lot of the stuff that we're seeing right now, and, and that speaks a lot to WWE's evolution. And, and look, Daniel Bryan was critical of the style that, quote-unquote, WWE brought to the table, saying that Miz was a clear probably a good example of that sort of vanilla style of wrestling where these guys wrestle not to get hurt. So there's sort of a, a, it's sort of a double-edged sword in in that you have WWE pushing this style so that it can prevent these guys who perform 300 days out of, out of the year. And along with having to satisfy the sort of bloodthirsty expectations of, of the audience, it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard for them to sort of find a good balance because when when you go for it, as so many of these men and women do, they they put their their bodies and ultimately their lives at risk to to make us happy. And and we are certainly happy watching these matches, but it's also really frustrating when guys like Seth Rollins and Daniel Bryan and and Cesaro and, and Cena and, and Cena and, and all and Randy Orton and all these people. I mean Samoa Joe on Saturday Night got hurt in, in his yeah. match. In Finn Balor. Uh, yeah, Finn Balor. So it it just seems like the WWE roster is depleted most of the time, and there are people who are out, and and they're having to sort of impro- improvise and figure out ways to move forward when so many of these marquee superstars are out with injury, and they're going to have to figure out a way to again find that balance and keep guys healthy while still delivering the sort of high wire stunts that we have now become accustomed to and now that we expect, now that we've gotten them at this point. So it's tricky. And, and Graham, just like before we move on to SummerSlam and TakeOver, again, going back to this idea of the quote-unquote work shoot and and where it's worked before, and and it clearly did with this Ms. Daniel Bryan promo, but – do you what do you do you like these moments? Clearly, you liked this one, but is this something that you look for in pro wrestling, and something that you hope to see even even more of in 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 the near future? Because you know, I, I posted something on AL dot com today where there are similar moments where things seem real sometimes. They act in a way that that pulls off these what what feel like genuine moments on live television that make us think, wow, that, that must be off script. But in reality, they're they're staged. We learn after the fact most of the time that, that most of it is staged, if not all of it. What, what about these, these work shoots or these, these near real moments work for you, and, and why would you want to see more of it? Yeah, I think that the the fact that they are still a work I enjoy that when you when they make it so close to reality that you think there there might be that it might be real, but in in reality it's really not. It's just it's just been put together and staged so well and seamlessly. When it crosses over into like shoot territory, um, with a lot of these things you posted on this awesome awesome post that, that everybody listening should check out if you haven't already on ale dot com. Uh, I, most of these cases are, are sort of mean spirited. You know, Paul Heyman's promo at the one night stand, uh, uh, Joey, Joey Styles, uh, uh, pipe bomb that, that he had, uh, that he did at, on an episode of Raw. I'd never seen that before. And he said a lot of things a lot of people were thinking, but it was just unfortunate that he had, to, that it had gotten to that point where he was so frustrated that he felt like he had to do that on that stage. Um, then also CM Punk's pipe bomb promo, you know, he, he kind of insults a lot of people in the locker room and it's just you never want to see that and so i would always prefer uh that that things really are uh are worked because i'm not coming to see real people uh express how angry they are at their jobs and frustrated and how they don't like people that's just ugly to me you know and that's part of why i'm I'm a bigger fan of wwe than i am of ufc because generally speaking like we see this this art of combat in the ring uh where there are people fighting and they're at odds but it's it's not real. They're not really hurting each other. I don't, I don't, I'm not into brutality, you know, and like people actually trying to hurt people to win. It's not, it's not, it doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't entertain me. So I, I tend to enjoy it. I love thinking to myself, Oh my God, did Miz, is Miz actually shooting on Daniel Bryan? That's amazing. But it makes me feel better at the end of the day when it's like, it's in the context of a work and, and uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't like ugliness of any kind. So, 
uh, I prefer a work. I love a work shoot, but but uh, leaning towards the work. Yeah, and it's just really unusual to me when they sort of pick their spots to do these because it's only happened like a handful of times in the history of the business where you have this question of wait, what just happened? Is that real? What what what's what do we do here? You know, like how how do we interpret this? And it makes you think like because it's happened so infrequently and it's happened on the stages that it has, like, for instance, the Talking Smack WWE Network exclusive post-live show, live show, like a, a panel show that, you know, I, I don't know how many people were watching or how many people they expected to watch that show, but it's just a wonder to me that they thought, you know what, let's have this kind of weird work shoot real moment on this. Maybe it'll get people watching this new show. Yeah, exactly. Let me strategy. ask you this. Are, are yeah. you going to watch Talking Smack next week? Maybe. You know, I can't yeah, hear it. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm, more, I'm more, more likely to watch it, for sure. If, if they did like have sort of happened. a crap... They, they had a crappy attempt at this, actually, in the same show. No, not that many, many people are talking about it, I guess, because not that many people watched it live, but in a segment before the Miz segment, uh, they had Nikki Bella on, and, and Carmella comes out of nowhere and attacks her, and they she, like, it beats her up, and it just seemed – it's just so obvious that it was fake, um, you know, and it went to setting up a feud between them, but it was just like obvious it was just a work. But, man, this happened, and it, it, it was played so well by The Miz and Daniel Bryan and Renee Young, for that matter. Renee Young was excellent in this segment because <laughs> she act, she tried to, like, get the thing back on the rails and, like, tell The Miz to calm down, and then he reacted to her. It, it just seemed real. So yeah. all these performers just, just crushed it. She was really good, but I, I thought one line was kind of wonky where she said, look, guys, this is not what this show is about. It's like, Renee, the show's called Talking Smack. That's what they're doing. So let them, let them, let them do it. <laughs> but, no, she was really good. Maurice was really good. She, they were both super awkward. But, yeah, it just makes you think, like, the, these. I think that a lot of those moments in a lot of those work shoots are are decided upon moments before they're carried out and, and are are really sort of like spur of the moment spontaneous things backstage where they decide, where they decide, you know what would be a good idea maybe is if we did this and maybe Pitts McMahon is like, Okay, do it and it happens rarely, but when it does, I mean they become viral YouTube videos. And and I don't know if that means we're gonna get maybe more forced versions of these, considering the reaction, the response that they got to this. I hope not, and I hope that they're a little rarer, but I do hope that it influences them to go for a slightly raw, seemingly more genuine uh, tone on, on shows like this because, yeah, it, it's definitely more exciting television. Um, well, so I, just hope, I just hope that, again, just to say one more thing, I just, again, I just hope that, that Miz can, can build on this and, and keep creating moments like this that will get him even more, that will get him more over with the fans and I hope this isn't just a one a one hit wonder thing where we all just look back and say, "Remember that one night where Miz uh, had a great promo?" And that's going to take it's going to it's going to take a lot of work from him, and it's going to take a lot of work from Vince and the rest of the creative team and whoever he's work, working with to really shine him up because he he deserves uh, to to continue to build and and keep taking steps in in the right direction after this. It's just fantastic work. A lot of unsung heroes in WWE right now, like The Miz and Heath Slater and, and a handful of other ones. So maybe they'll get their big shot. Who knows? So, Graham, let's get to SummerSlam weekend right now, and let's go through our top five favorite moments from the weekend. And before we do, I just want to know, we, we've shared our, our top fives with each other, and four of each of our top fives overlap with each other, and we have only one differences, and maybe we have different reasons for why we picked the other four. But I want to go through quickly – the, the two reasons that, that do not overlap. And I will start with my number five, and it's the end of SummerSlam in the whole Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, bloody head incident. And and I know that for a lot of people, it's a huge head scratcher. And, and that includes myself. Like, as it was happening, as we were watching it in the building and we didn't have the commentary, I had no idea what was going on and, and had no idea why things were turning out the way that they were, the way they ended it with a TKO is just so unconventional. And, and this sort of thing happened at last year's SummerSlam, which you also attended, where it ended on a really false note. And yeah. had people scratching their heads, both watching the telecast and in the building. But the reason I pick it is just because it's such a polarizing moment. And the fact that we were lucky enough to be in the building 
for for this to have happened and for us to have witnessed this firsthand, it was just too interesting. And and I think when I watched it, I thought this is wonky, and I don't know if this is the best way to end the pay per view. But now that I've had some time to sort of think about it and and you know hear other perspectives on it, I think I'm I'm putting it in the plus column because I you know when when we go when we watch a Brock Lesnar match or, or when we see Brock Lesnar in the building. We have to we have to define what our expectations for one of his matches or one of his segments really is. And the reason we all love to watch Brock Lesnar is because we we again we're those bloodthirsty fans who like to watch him sort of destroy things, whether it's in the ring or or backstage or wherever. And whether that's you know on Monday Night Raw or on a pay per view or ending a pay per view, that's what happened. Something something crazy happened, and he wreaked Brock Lesnar havoc. And I, I, I think that they delivered what we typically want for Brock Lesnar. And I think that, you know, more often than not, we'd rather it be to serve a greater storytelling purpose in, in, in terms of putting on a good match. And, and maybe they do that down the road, and they've done it before, certainly. And, and they're working their way towards maybe sort of a slay, a slay the dragon Storyline, and I don't know who the worthy opponent is going to be that will factor into that, or if that's even feasible given Lesnar's weird contract that we know very little about. But I don't know. For me, again, it's about what do we expect from Brock Lesnar, and did we get that on Sunday night? And I think we did. Well, you know, yeah, I've been at both SummerSlams two years in a row, and the false note thing, and you, you, you could see it. Uh, that that place was angry. That crowd was angry. The people that were there, the people that paid to be there and didn't pay to be there, uh, they were they were mad. They were that show ended with a chorus of boos with NXT chants. People were people were singing the Shinsuke Nakamura theme song in the hallway. We had one guy come up to us that was just walking around by himself, just ranting. That just came up to us and started just venting to us about how mad he was, using profanity. Um, in hindsight, the, the matches, you know, I, I, I look back on it positively, uh, but it's like I, I left and I'm like, okay, that happened. It is what it is. I, I wish that this could be addressed tomorrow night on Raw, and it's like it was barely even touched upon in a backstage vignette. That's where I think WWE failed. Uh, and, and again, even on Tuesday, when they had Randy Orton come out, and he's immediately interrupted by Bray Wyatt. It's like, <laughs> it's like, okay, then that was really for nothing. It's like they can't even get their ducks in a row with Brock's weird part-time schedule to have a situation where if something like they want to do something like that, that's a cliffhanger that leaves everybody hanging, where they can actually pay it off. So the, to me, those two, the two quote-unquote ways that they paid it off uh, were, were really disappointing, and that sort of leaves uh, – leaves me cold a little bit, but watching it and, and being there and, and, and trying to the, trying to understand the chaos of what was going on, trying to figure out if the blood was real, did he blade himself, uh, what's happening here, um, you know, and, and seeing Brock, when we think it's real, seeing Brock continuing to pummel Orton, uh, who really did suffer a shoot injury here, uh, whether or not it was worked, it was still a legitimate uh, abrasion to the head that caused a lot of blood. Um, you know, that the, the moment was cool. Going back and watching it on SummerSlam has been interesting, but the, the it did not it was not paid off in my opinion, and that's I disappointing. Think, I think the one payoff to it all really and what makes it more interesting and sort of builds on top of the existing mythology that was created that night was something that WWE was indirectly responsible for. And and that was the misunderstanding that Chris Jericho had once the, the reported misunderstanding. Anyway, I don't know that we'll ever know the full story to this, but we hear that Brock Lesnar and, and Randy Orton and everybody came back after the match was over. Chris Jericho thought it was real and thought it was unplanned and that Brock was out of control. He confronts Brock Lesnar about it. They get into it. They have to be separated. And Vince McMahon finally tells Chris Jericho that it was all part of the act. And there was like real tension that exists between the two of them. And now it's become this already this, this, mythological moment that has built upon the reputation of Chris Jericho. And so at that point, I don't know why WWE doesn't use that, that everybody knows about now and, and create maybe a feud between 
those two guys. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know why they don't build upon it immediately because it was such a viral moment. And yeah, you're right. They kind of buried it. And and again, that probably has more to do with Brock's part time schedule and and how many dates they have to work with him. And, and it's sort of out of their hands now. But again, it was all I can really say about it is it was really interesting, and and, and I'm kind of glad we were there to see it. So. Give me your your number five, the, the moment that you loved that won't overlap with our lists. Um, let me see here. The, well, oh yeah, okay. My number five is the opening promo for SummerSlam. We had <laughs> we had uh, you know had an, an incredible night uh, with NXT Takeover. Uh, everyone will objectively tell you that that was the the, the you know I think more people had people had more fun on Saturday than they did on Sunday for a lot of different reasons. Uh, and I think overall it was just the more effective show, but man, it was taxing. It was so exhausting. Uh, there was a lot of energy in that place, a lot more intensity um, at takeover. And so it's like, uh, we, you know, we get to SummerSlam and I got to give it to them. They started off the show with, on a great note, the actual show, not the two hour pre-show uh, when Enzo, Enzo cut an amazing promo. They got everybody in Brooklyn excited uh, got everybody to sing uh, uh, Notorious B.I.G. lyrics, a chorus of that happening. That was really cool and just started the night off on the right note with a night, and then followed by a nice, solid match uh, with with um, Enzo and Cass versus Jericho. And what was amazing was just to see Cass. I'd never seen him in person before and, and to see how big he really is, uh, just tossing the huge Kevin Owens around like a little rag doll. So they had a really fun match with some great work by everybody involved, especially uh, Jericho, of course. So that was that was a really fun moment that, that I thought got, set the the right tone for the night. Yeah, and and I think in the moment I didn't really I didn't really think about it as it was happening until like maybe five minutes into the segment, where it's like, you know, it's it's pretty fitting that they let the New York guys open the New York show yeah. this very specific way. And it's amazing that so early into those guys' WWE careers, they've they've earned their way into this this status of look, we trust you guys to open one of our biggest pay per views. We're just going to hand you a couple of mics and and y'all get out there and get the crowd yeah. jumping. And and they were they were fantastic. They they were yep. really good. And it was a really fun electrifying moment that set a great tone for the rest of the night. Not necessarily one that they maintained throughout the show, but right but right. a really great way to start the show off. So, Graham, moving on here in, in terms of the list that we'll share now, the, the moment that you've already referenced on, on, on this show, the, the moment, I, I guess, just that, that took the crowd completely out of it, because this is just one of the most fickle crowds that I've ever seen, whether I'm watching <laughs> it on TV or, or being there live. Like it, it, was, it was an ADD crowd that just couldn't focus hardly on one thing. They couldn't figure out one way to feel throughout the show, and they couldn't let one thing go pretty much <laughs> as soon as it started throughout the rest of the show. And it was the unveiling of the Universal Championship belt, this red monstrosity that people <laughs> up, uh, on site, you know, who knows? Like, it, it, could, it may have looked like anything. Like, it could have been anything. And maybe that crowd was going to pounce on it no matter what. But... The general consensus, as soon as they, they pulled the cloth off and, and, and we saw the red belt, was it's horrible, it's ugly, and we're going to let this McMahon and WWE and everybody in that ring know about it, and we're going to let the world know about it, too, because they can hear us on on the network as they're watching this. And so that, that prompted just a chorus of chants, one after the other. That belt sucks in different variations on it. And while this was happening, Graham, we were getting Finn Balor versus Seth Rollins to scream that <laughs> up in the eyes of all yeah. of these, these hardcore fans. They, in the moment, they didn't care. They couldn't like a dream, like a dream match. Yes, like a, it's a big deal, and and they just couldn't let it go. <laughs> and they sacrificed a match that they had wanted to see forever, so that they could crap on this belt. What made this a significant moment for you? Uh, because it was so funny. It was just funny. You know, it's, it's like they found sort of a meme. It's like a meme was invented on the spot. And the meme was, uh, basically, we hate this belt. It's awful. And the fact that they kept showing it on the Jumbotron reminded them, oh, yeah, we, re we reacted to it this way initially. It will be even funnier if we keep reacting to it. 
even though there's a match going on. I think it's a smart crowd, and they get that. And it was very funny. You you wrote down a bunch of the different chants that that uh, happened, and you mentioned a few that they 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 did one in the to the tune of the John Cena sucks chant, saying like this belt sucks, that belt sucks, uh, so many. Uh, and then the, the 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 chant we heard a lot over the weekend. Uh, delete, 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 delete. <laughs> which, which, uh, you know, that, that it's, uh, they had like six or seven different ones. And then Seth Rollins tweeted the next day. It's apparently as a shoot that he was upset with the fact that the fans, uh, focused so much on the belt and ignored the match. And, you know, he, again, he worked as a work, he worked it into his promo the next night. Uh, but but, you know, it was just hilarious. It was just like the fans, they were retired. They'd been there for two nights in a row. And, and they, the WWE, uh, WWE gave them a reason to troll. And they were, it, the fact that it happened during what was supposed to be a dream match, it didn't matter. They couldn't get over it, and they ran with it. And personally, I, I, you know, I know it's not the way WWE planned it, but I thought it was a pretty funny, sweet moment. Yeah, and I, I thought it was hilarious, too, as it was happening. And, and honestly, it didn't bug me about overshadowing the match as much because I, like I said in, in, in uh, an article or something, I wrote tweets that I wrote, it wouldn't have mattered if it was Macho Man versus Ricky Steamboat too. <laughs> you know, like it, they, they were so crazed at that point. And, and I think honestly it was just, it was a trickle down effect starting with the Ambrose Ziggler match that completely took the air out of the room and befuddle the crowd, and just really, I don't know, again, they were anxious because I think of the women's championship match and all of, like, the near injuries that happened. And there was a great match that followed that. Yeah. We'll talk about in a little while that was really hard to follow for a lot of these matches. And so I think the order in the whole John Stewart thing, I think, left people feeling kind of strange, too, just in terms of mixing comedy with a tag team title match. So I think that there were just so many different tones that bounced around throughout the arena that at that moment, like whatever happened next, they were ready to go nuclear. And the fact that they unveiled something that everybody had been expecting and anticipating, and it, it turned out to be different than what they expected. It, it, it was too far gone and they just couldn't let it go. And it, and it was just over at that point. But as it was happening, I thought it was really funny too. So we go on to the next one in, in Graham, just because, because you know, I, we 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 go there to see wrestling, right? I'm gonna save our, our one of our mutual ones for last, as, as because it's my number one, and we're gonna focus on two entrances, non wrestling moments that really brought the house down on Saturday night, and and were big reasons why people consider NXT Takeover the better show between it and SummerSlam. And let's start with the Shinsuke Nakamura entrance that involved this violin player who played an intro. And as Shinsuke Nakamura's music started, he played along with it. And it just made – his entrance was already amazing, but they really gussied it up. And and to see it live was just something else. Yeah, you you said it the best when we we sat down and and there were just uh, red T-shirts everywhere. And you said this this looks like a Shinsuke Nakamura home game because there were there were literally thousands of people wearing the shirt and it, it that that was the true that gave me the true sense that we were going to see a main event type draw uh, because so many people had bought the T-shirt they were ready and it was like we can't wait to see him we can't just wait to see what he does. And this entrance, this completely wild, dramatic entrance, totally lived up to the hype. Uh, and then, then we got to see an amazing match after that. And he ended up getting the strap. So it was all about Shinsuke Nakamura, and the entrance was just unbelievable. Yeah, it was great. And, and you're right. It totally lived up the, to the hype. And Shinsuke Nakamura is just such an interesting figure now in, in WWE, and, and I think will go down as one of the most interesting performers in WWE and wrestling history. He's just such a unique guy and, and character, and, and yeah, he deserves that kind of entrance, and the fact that, you know, his entrance was already amazing going into it, the fact that they could figure out a way to amplify it 
and make it that well, much more memorable just made it that much better. Well, I have a question about Shinsuke Nakamura. Does he even lift? <laughs> he lifts at the same gym uh, CM Punk does. So. <laughs> but great. No, he, he, he was great. He was great in the ring, but yeah, it doesn't. He definitely. He, he's not from the world of, of WWE and that developmental uh, ladder. You know, necessarily, he, he's from a different world, and and you know, so he doesn't have that look that Vince McMahon has, you know, typically required of wrestlers. Uh, you know, seeing CM Punk being an exception to that, but uh, that 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 match between him and Samoa Joe was was really incredible. It was awesome. It really it was a great main event. That God, the last five minutes of it were just so electrifying, and and Samoa Joe too. I mean, I hope that guy. That that I think he still has a really bright future with all that he's accomplished in the Indies and. And elsewhere, other than WWE. yeah, if he can, yes, yeah, if he if he can get his job uh, put back into place, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I hope that he will, and I think he will. But Graham, I mean, I, I never expected that the Shinsuke Nakamura entrance would be one up by someone else on the NXT roster's entrance, but it was. And I'll let you take the lead on this one. Glorious Bobby Roode. In his in his pay per view debut, uh, unbelievable. He, he he arrived on this tower wearing a robe, sequined robe, a la Ric Flair, and 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 you know they they played what's got to be one of the best entrance themes from WWE in years. Uh, it's like charting on iTunes. I saw it's it's been on on repeat on my iPod. Uh, definitely in the context of the gym. Uh, his his entrance was just it was just bombastic, flamboyant, just just classic and and totally memorable and and stood out as one of the highlights of the entire weekend. Um, you know, I'd say that 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 Bobby Roode's entrance, I would I would rank that over anything that happened at SummerSlam. Yeah, it's 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 arguably the moment of the weekend, and it, it was amazing. And Graham, I, I went and saw an NXT show a couple of weeks before. NXT TakeOver in Brooklyn. I was in Birmingham, and the venue was very different. The, rest of the, the, the ring was on the stage, and so the entrances were kind of hard <laughs> to see. And, and I saw the Bobby Roode entrance, and they played the music, and, and he was in the tag team main event. He teamed with Joe against Nakamura and, and CN, CN or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't – people loved it, and, and he, was, he was really popular with everybody, and people were singing along. It just didn't have the impact that what whatever went down on Takeover did, where this room, this sold out Barclays Center, sung along to every last word of that theme song. Like whenever the chorus would hit, or just every single word would hit, you would just look. The lighting was incredible, and you would just look around, and you could just hear the entire building just blowing up at this. Like they they love them. They love the song. You're right. It's extremely catchy. And the, the the guys who are writing the NXT music right now are making like they they are earning their money and in, in establishing themselves as the premier uh, theme writers right now in, in WWE. They're they're amazing. In in so, yeah, absolutely. Um, most of these most of these songs are available on iTunes and Apple Music, and and I've been going through. There's so many great ones like Asuka's music is incredible. Finn Balor, uh, AJ Styles. Nakamura, Bobby Roode, I mean, um, and now, and Braun Strowman's theme, I can't get over Braun Strowman's <laughs> theme, which I, I'd never heard that really until Monday Night Raw, and it's it's hilarious, and all these are done by these guys, CFO Dollar Sign, uh, who, who are taking over from Jim Johnson, who, who's uh, made music for decades at WWE, but these guys, uh, they're like young guys based in New York, they're, they're just incredible. Is it CFO um, Dollar Sign, or is it CFOs, because the dollar sign looks like an S? I, you're probably right. You're probably right. But I'm just reading it as I see it. And I, I'm, I don't care if that's what it is. I'm going to keep calling him CFO Dollar Sign. That's what right. it is, damn it. Yeah, well, it's on it's on YouTube. Check out the Bobby Roode entrance. But, God, what what lucky people we are to have been in the room for that to I happen. I mean, I think that's going to be something people talk about for a long time. And, you know, if and when he gets to WWE, maybe he has a similar moment. But... That felt really special as it was happening, and, and like you, I've listened to the song many times since then. So, Graham, this gets us to our last pick here, and again, I wanted to save it for last, because again, 
we go to wrestling matches in wrestling events for wrestling. And I think we saw a really special match. And, and while we said the NXT TakeOver was the better event overall, and I totally agree with that, SummerSlam had the best match. And it was AJ Styles beating John Cena in what I think was an instant classic. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, and and uh, by the end of it, uh, as the match really hit its stride, well, the Cena haters were cheering for Cena. You know, uh, it it was just two fantastic performers doing doing their absolute best work, and the crowd was totally into it. It did not help the the show overall that this was a mid card match. Inexplicably, a lot of people saying that it should have been a main event. Um, you know, so unusual placement. But at the time, we were like, "This is great." But then you're like, "Where do they go from here?" Uh, at least at the time, we thought, oh, well, we still have Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton. We still have Seth Rollins and Finn Balor. But but this absolutely stole the show, for sure. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I don't mean to interrupt you, but there there are these just these clowns a couple of rows below us who, whenever there was a false finish <laughs> or a two count, they brought a scoreboard with them. And whenever, literally, whenever there was a two count, they – they moved, they moved a number, mm-hmm. they, they counted one number more and showed, right. and, and showed the whole crowd where they were on the total tally of two counts. And, ne- like, never more than during that match was were those guys more active uh, than, than with all of the false finishes that happened, yeah. all of the finishers that didn't land the three count. And it, it, was, it was great. I mean, like you said, those guys, I mean, Cena, he's an amazing performer. And he gets so much crap. Like, as soon as his music hit, he gets the booze. He gets the John Cena sucks chant. And it seems like it's the story every single time. By the end of the the, the the latest amazing match that he's been one half of, these people who are booing him are cheering him and embracing him as a major contributor to, to the product. And I, I just don't know why the booze are gone at this point. Maybe it's just part of it now. And, and maybe everybody who's booing knows they're going to be cheering by the end of the match and respects him as a performer, but the guy just keeps earning it over and over and over, no matter who he's working with. But the fact that this time he works with a guy who, while he's a little uh, longer in the tooth than a lot of the superstars on the roster with bright futures, AJ Styles got a bright future with WWE, and I sense a title run coming because this match really elevated him. I think the fact that he beat the the quote-unquote face of the company, the, the face that runs the place, they call him, I mean, AJ Styles, the fact that they had the level of respect to let him do that, and Cena, obviously, the, the respect to let him do that speaks volumes, but the guy can just do anything in the ring, and he did it uh, on uh, Sunday night. Yeah, well, for me, I agree with you completely, and he's going to beat uh, Dean Ambrose hopefully very soon and be the the objective top, top guy on SmackDown. But the star for me is Cena because he did for AJ Styles what he's done with so many other people recently. I mean, he – he is responsible for Suplex City. Uh, John Cena was the one that, that, that was in that match like two SummerSlams ago or three SummerSlams ago with Lesnar uh, where he where Suplex City was invented. Uh, he did the same thing for uh, for Kevin Owens. He did the same thing for Seth Rollins. He did the same thing for Rusev. Uh, he is just the best at shining up this up-and-coming talent, and it never hurts him. He always he always comes back fresh for a new program. Bray Wyatt, I mean, he John Cena has has lent his star power to all these guys, and he's managed to make them look great. And him and and has not hurt himself at all uh, in terms of physically. Well, he has gotten injured, but uh, generally, you know, he has not he has not uh, hurt himself at all in terms of him being perceived uh, how he's perceived in terms of his strength. So uh, he he's the man in my opinion. He's just the guy that that the company has leaned on to legitimize all these guys that are that are coming up and I can't wait to see who they pair him with next whenever yeah, he comes back. His reputation is the opposite. He's known as sort of being a guy in the mold of Hulk Hogan who has has trouble lending the spotlight to to young superstars with bright futures who who might be next in line because I mean there have been like notable moments where or, or there have been these stories that he he, he didn't do it for Wade Barrett, you know, back during the whole Nexus thing, and it's just like, okay, that was one one time, and there might be a few examples, <laughs> but I mean, and it's like Wade Barrett, if you want to get bent out of shape about that, okay, but 
you just went through this huge list of, of guys that he's gone up against and had these incredible matches with, and those guys' careers are just better for it since then. And, and you know, I kind of wish that they would do it with a few other people. I think I think a scene of Roman Reigns feud would, would go a long way to, to legitimize Roman Reigns in the eyes of fans. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll get that. Who knows? But, yeah, I thought it was pretty funny, Grant, that you were on the opposite end of the spectrum from most of those people loudly booing John Cena during the John, you know, the the John Cena chants over and over. Or, or, what is the Cena thing? Cena, Cena sucks. Let's, let's go, go Cena. Cena, Cena. Let's go Cena, Cena sucks. Absolutely, I love I love John Cena because I know what his purpose is. I know that not only is he an amazing performer, uh, he's there to make whoever he's uh, working with look great, and and I respect that as a as a work and a shoot. I mean, he. He is just one of the top guys in the business. He's, he's one of the best the best performers and workers in the business. But he also uh, happily plays his role and will will do jobs for these guys. And I just admire that that uh, humility and just willingness to contribute to the overall product uh, that some of our favorites of all time haven't been willing to do. Famously with all, uh, Steve Austin, you know, but uh, Cena has figured out a way to do it to to let guys go over on him. And and you know not lose anything and not not get hurt at all. So I'm a I'm a huge fan. And but I, at the same time though I will I do boo the hell out of Bailey and I'm not a fan of her. She's sort of like the female John Cena. But I do that as a work, uh, just because I you know I I see her through like Oscar's eyes and I I just want to like crush Bailey you know and and destroy <laughs> her and destroy her dreams you know and and just and and uh, snuff out any hope that she has that she will be happy. Uh, but I, that's all. That's I do that. That that's just fun because we all have that heel inside of us. And I think Bailey's amazing, and I love the, how people are getting so excited about her and how she's so po- such a positive role model for kids and all that. But when you're in in the context of the work that the show is, I love to root against Bailey. But Cena, I see. I've just got, had so much time to like observe and and absorb his his role, and I appreciate that so much that I just have to cheer for him. Yeah, and, and honorable mention here for for best moments of the weekend, both women's matches on NXT Takeover and in the women's championship at SummerSlam were fantastic and, and were just great showcases for the incredible talent that they have in the women's division. I think Charlotte is great. I, I'm, I'm so glad that she's champion again. I think Sasha Banks really just she she con- continues to establish and earn credibility even though she she might put herself at more risk than she needs to as she yeah. did on Sunday night. And there was a there was a tangible anxiety in the building mm-hmm. when she was when she was going for those moves and, and mm-hmm. so, but I mean I think it, she deserves a lot of credit for perhaps making it look worse than it was. And maybe mm-hmm. she's just that gifted of an athlete. But I'm with you too. Like in, in the, the Oscar Bailey match, I was hundred percent for Oscar. I think she's amazing and I yeah. hope that she she makes the jump to WWE soon. I, I would be thrilled to see how they used her. Maybe maybe they'll bungle her like they have other NXT performers. But yeah, she she was great and she was great in that match. She's a worthy champion. And, and like you said, it's fun to root against Bailey in sort of a backwards way because you know we're in the vast minority in terms of not being Bailey marks as it were. Mm-hmm. But the building was full of them. If, if there was a second place to Shinsuke Nakamura T-shirts in Barclays, Bailey was was second place. I mean, all these people with the "I'm a hugger" T-shirts, men and women, they love her. And and you're right, she's great. She she's really fantastic. And now she's made the jump to WWE, so we'll see how that plays out. But Graham, sounds like you have go, a ba- sounds like you have a Bailey fan in the background there. Yeah, I think maybe yeah we might be getting an "I'm a hugger" onesie, maybe <laughs> because because Margot is definitely a hugger. She she fills that role nicely. But Graham, before we go here, um just any anything else you want to mention just as like an honorable mention moment or anything from Monday Night Raw that you attended for your what ninth, tenth, eleventh hour of pro wrestling this past yeah. weekend? I what's really interesting is yes, I was exhausted after Saturday. I think you, you can agree there. We were both exhausted. And but by the time we got to Monday, I was just excited to see what happened next? And Monday Night Raw was was really great this week. I thought uh, a lot of great action, a lot of great promos, um, and and it was weird on Tuesday not having to go to Barclays to see a WWE show. You know, and had had, had there been another one, I would have gone. I had so much fun. I, I why didn't they just do SmackDown? Like why didn't they just do four in a row? 
I know. Just I guess they just feel like they need to give another venue in another city the chance to make some money. Uh, but but it was um, it was it was incredible. It was just it was so much fun. I really enjoyed the atmosphere. Um, it can be sort of sad and concerning at times with how people act. Uh, you know, you do definitely do see a darker side of people uh, who try to make it about themselves. But generally, it's people there have, to have fun and to laugh and and to be uh, to try and keep up with the storylines and try and figure out what's real and what's fake and um it's it's a a lot of people have a like mind there and it's just so fun and and i i loved doing it three nights in a row i usually only go like twice a year so to do it three nights in a row was really unique for me and uh i would absolutely hit that uh takeover SummerSlam, monday night raw combo if, if it does indeed come back to barclays next year you mentioned something really interesting I want to touch on before we go here, and that's the crowd that you watch these shows with. And yeah. when I go to these live events like this, whether it's Raw or SmackDown or a pay-per-view, which was my first ever in, in my wrestling fandom uh, life, you kind of find out what level of wrestling fan you are when you go to these things because there are people – I mean, there's thousands of people there, first of all. And so many of them are so hardcore that I, you know, I, I look at it and I think like I just I, my, I don't live my life as a wrestling fan like some of these people do, and good on them. And I'm really impressed with their knowledge and their passion. I mean, their their arsenal of T-shirts that they wear to these shows is amazing. And and it, you know, I kind of worry at times when I'm watching these that, you know, the the people above me or below me or around me are going to sort of hurt the experience in that you have this smart fan category where people are sort of ahead of the action, ahead of the storylines in the moment. They're, they're sort of like walking like live tweeters, you know, where you're hearing their commentary and they're breaking down and snarking about every moment that goes on. And that was definitely true for a lot of the show, but mainly for the first part of the show. And then it sort of dies down and they mm-hmm. just watch it. They just sort of watch it as wrestling fans. They boo and cheer like marks and, and they enjoy it with everybody. And then you have the kids and you have the parents and the people who are there just to have a good time. And it's just a really fun atmosphere. And I had a total blast. And like you, I was, I was exhausted on Saturday night, but by the time Sunday rolled around, I was just ready for more. And, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel exhausted, you know, to the point of like, I, I'm sick of being here. I was tired, mm-hmm. but I, I had a blast. Like I, I really enjoyed the pay-per-view experience. I would do it again because I mean, there aren't commercial breaks per se, and it's really all about the action. It just moves along at, at a click. And I thought it was great. And I know that there were sort of mixed reviews on SummerSlam, but I think overall it was really fun and interesting. And TakeOver was amazing and as advertised. And they earned every single NXT chance that they got, even after SummerSlam. But it was just a blast of a weekend. And, and SmackDown comes to Birmingham on, uh, I think, September 20th. And I plan on oh, being wow. there. Yeah, I play, I play, it's, it's pretty it's pretty soon, and we'll see. You know what what uh, you know my wife has to say about it, and I know that our significant others are certainly glad that the weekend is over, and and maybe there won't be wrestling for a really long time. But look, I plan to be there. It's just always a blast, and as long as there's an opportunity to go check it out live, and I'm able to, I'll do it because you know regardless of how we feel overall about the product and the storyline and blah blah blah, her wrestling live. It's just just a compelling environment, and the fans make it a lot of fun, and it's just such a unique, I don't know, such a unique experience that really hits you on kind of a visceral level as it's happening, and I'll continue to do it for the foreseeable future. Oh, yeah, one of my favorite sounds in the world is is being in a room with a wrestling ring when you hear one of those big flat back bumps. It doesn't (laughs) get much better than that. No, definitely not. Well, Graham... Thanks for doing this. Thanks for letting me crash at your place in New York, and hopefully we'll be able to do it again soon, whether it's at Barclays or, or whatever church gym. My pleasure, anytime. And, and to the people listening, check out my interviews that I did ahead of SummerSlam weekend uh, with AJ Styles and then one with Mick Foley. You got a chance to talk to those guys for a, uh, a nice uh, long chunk of time. Uh, some really interesting stuff from both of them about uh, the WWE product, about NXT, about the differences uh, between the Japanese Japanese and American wrestling fans, and then also what it's like to work with Vince McMahon, uh, what he's really like in real life. So some really cool conversations. Check those out on Business Insider. All right, Graham, thanks a lot. 
Thank you. Rammer Slammer is produced and edited by Ben Flanagan for the Alabama Media Group and AL.com. Find us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Rammer Slammer. Thanks for listening.